Today, as we continue studies, our studies on Second uh, Corinthians, in chapter 8, the latter part, verse 16 through 24, let me do a really quick recap on the, uh, what's been going on in the Second uh, Corinthians so far. Paul was defending his apostolic authority because of these false apostles planted so much of doubt in Corinthians uh, church and the Christians. And one chapter 1 through 7, he devoted his uh, heart to, to defend. Why was it important to defend? Not only for himself, it was actually for if they reject Paul's apostolic authority, that means rejecting that also meant they're rejecting the true gospel. And then there's a sudden turn of chapter 8 and 9 is about giving. Why, why would this happen? Why would he allocate two entire chapters on giving? Because his relationship now, hearing the good news from Titus, and that Corinthians repented and they changed their heart toward Paul and their relationship is restored. A year ago, he remembered they uh, promised to give for the poor in Jerusalem because of Jerusalem church in Judea, because of famine and because of persecution. There's a desperate need for financial support. So Paul's pa passion to encourage them, and he takes intentional the interruption in the middle of his uh, letter, set aside two chapters. The last week, there are t uh, about four things we saw as what New Testament giving, Christian giving, um, is all about. The first one is it is grace giving as opposed to giving under the law. In other words, the Old Testament giving of giving tithe was God's law commanded to the Israelites. In the New Testament, it is no longer the problem of legality, obeying the law. And technically speaking, you don't have to give. God doesn't need our money. But the whole point of why is it grace giving? Because one who has received from the grace, received the grace of God in Jesus Christ would naturally respond to give grace to others. It is actually outflow of God's amazing grace in us. And if you remember, verses 1 through 5, Paul is using Macedonian church, the Northern Greece church, and saying they are overflowing with generosity. It's not their own generosity. It is the generosity of God. The grace is 
and the and the word grace and and generosity, he's changing terms interchangeably, using it and saying the Macedonian church they gave themselves to the Lord first, which means the grace giving is starts with the devotion to God. And it is a part of spiritual worship to God. I, my life belongs to you now. And if our lives belong to God, everything we have belongs to God as well. <coughs> Secondly, New Testament Christian giving is, it is willing, voluntary giving as opposed to giving with a compulsion or reluctance. Willing and voluntary giving. In chapter 9, Paul will repeat that as a God loves a cheerful giver. The Methodian church, even though they're going through a tough time financially as a poor church, they gave sacrificially, but delight. They were begging Paul to participate, let them allow them to participate in that collection. And it is utterly important for us to follow this scripture guidance. And some would say, um, past 10 years. You know, your uh, offering will go down if you don't have offering time. So in the beginning, uh, you're, you guys are small, and um, well, some of us, uh, we were small back in the day, and the living, in my living room, there was a shoebox, and that was the, our offering box. Maybe we should have the offering time, encourage them, and some churches will have just make a big deal of offering time. The pastor will say, it is offering time. Then they make, they make all the congregation shout. <laughs> we don't do that. Because I think, pragmatically speaking, if we have mm -hmm. offering time, there will be a little more income in our church. But God doesn't like in reluctant, compulsive giving. If, if it is our expression of ourselves and our worship to God, it has to be willing and cheerful and voluntary giving. And if you really haven't experienced grace, true grace, and in, I, in other words, you're a nominal Christian who, who are not saved yet at all. We would encourage you, you rather receive than give. That is a New Testament teaching. Number three, New Testament Christian giving is, it is imitating Christ's generosity. The whole point, reason for giving is to follow Christ in his example. 
Although he was rich, he became poor for our sake. Not financial poverty, not financial wealth, but being divine, inclusive. The whole universe was his. He had the right and privilege as a divine. But through incarnation, through redemption, he took the cross for us. I remember yesterday, uh, last week I mentioned about this illustration. If you love someone when your heart hurts too much when you're spending for that person, you don't have true love for that person. If you're calculating with God, that's not imitating Christ's generosity. In some sense, languages are important. Christian giving as an offering to God, it is not a charitable donation. I feel sorry that for that person or sorry for that need, so I'm going to give as a donation. That's the horizontal way, a man's way of giving. I want to follow Christ, his example, in his generosity. And our brothers and sisters are hurting and because of hurricane, because of uh, earthquake and tsunami in Indonesia case. My heart compels to give with no strings attached, that is generosity. And finally, New Testament Christian giving is proportional stewardship giving. Proportional stewardship giving. Tithe is Old Testament giving, and New Testament uh, believers do not, I repeat, do not have to give tithe as, as a requirement, as an obligation. However, the proportional giving is don't worry about what you cannot give, even if you're a student, even if you're, you, you are unemployed, even if you're going through this. Give what you can. God knows your heart. Set aside in your mind prepared. Readiness is important. And Make a decision in your heart in the principle of generosity and give to the Lord. And then we come, usually come back to the same principle of how do I decide? What is the proportional? So giving 10, 10% is a good rule of thumb. As Randy Alcon called it, it's a good training will to begin with. So we came all the way around. Although we don't have to give tithe, we're encouraging you to proportionally start with the 
But I need to make it clear, last week I didn't have a time to do that. I said language is important. Right? One of my sons, I'm not going to say who, has a part time and he's been making money and enjoying. And I said, uh, son, are you going to give 10%? And then, yeah, we had the conversation, we encouraged him and he acknowledged God. Yeah, well, I'll do that, Dad. And a week later, I asked him, so the, remember the conversation we had? And, and this is his way of saying, oh, I already paid. <laughs> okay, God owes you money? You pay back? <laughs> of course, he doesn't mean that way, but it's, it's a language helps us to think, you know, think rightly about that, right? Those of you who give tithing regularly, I applaud you. I'm, I'm really proud of you. But the reason why it is stewardship giving is this. Wrong concept first. One-tenth belongs to God. We should not steal God's. Nine-tenth, in other words, is mine. I do whatever I want to do with nine-tenth. And because of that, it becomes self-focused, isn't it? I give tithing so that God will bless me materialistically. My business will go better. My children will go to good school. But stewardship giving is everything I own belongs to God. Came from God. So one-tenth of my income surrendering to God is acknowledgement that all ten belongs to God. So in reality, New Testament believers gave more than 10%. In some cases, 20, 30, 40, 50%. And next year, in March, we're going to have a missions month again. We're going to Rally for, give, missionally. Let's be a missional people, missional church. And the language that we use is beyond and above your regular offering and tithe. If you don't have a concept of a stewardship, oh, it will hurt. But if you do really believe and acknowledge God, everything I, I have, everything I, I am enjoying, Every good gift came from you, Lord. And I want to reflect your value. Everything I own in my possessions. So these four principles is simple, but not so common. We have weird ideas and skewed motives in today's world. Brothers and sisters, let's follow this scripture guidance. Today, tables are turned a little bit. What about the church side or the collection, uh, collecting and distributing side? That is a key focus of integrity of giving. 
Second Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 16, we find at least, sorry about that. Oh. We find at least three reasons, uh, three things that integrity in Christian giving require. Here's the first one. It requires accountability with spiritually mature people who handle the collection and distribution. Verse 16, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Do you notice this? The interesting thing about Paul is there's an intentionality behind this. To involve others for the sake of accountability. That's in any, any organization. Yeah, accountability is important. But let's take a look at what type of people are being chosen here. And typically, um, in my experience, maybe your experience is the same. <clears throat> The pastors and Bible study leaders are, have to be spiritually mature. Uh, the one who kind of counts the mo money or, or the one who leads the uh, administrative side of church business, oh, we need people who are business savvy. He's a new Christian. Oh, it's okay. Oh, he really is not together spiritually, I think he's struggling with his doubts or, or something. Oh, no, it's okay. He is an MBA, right? Or he is an accountant. He is CEO or CFO. Do you, did you notice that? Paul's choice, first of all, was a Titus. Titus had a same heart but Paul had spiritual concern, that is. There's nothing about Titus being business savvy. Financially, he's a really good number person at all. And what about this brother who is famous among all the churches? Famous for what? Not accounting, but preaching of the gospel. And so many older co commentators would say that it's, this is Dr. Luke 
the gospel writer, the, com the companion of Apostle Paul during his missionary journeys, the author of our book of Acts as well. Um, the more contemporary commentators, and I agree with them, think not. Because if you look through the book of Acts, Luke is not accompanying him yet. And he hasn't written the gospel of Luke yet. We don't know. Simply, it's pointless to think about who could this be. All we know is that he's spiritually mature. That he is character-approved person. One thing, one advantage of starting the church from the beginning, from scratch, that we could do things in intentionality. Our elders today were just mere leaders. We didn't even use the word elders. Giving uh, any kind of power and authority too early on uh, can lead to the organizational mess. I know that. But more importantly, Scripture tells us the elders have qualification. Leaders have qualification. Not a business-savvy people among so many pragmatic churches, including my previous ministry, choose the business-savvy people, regardless of their spiritual maturity. We wanted to go with two. Of course, the Titus and First Timothy qualification is there, but two distinctive telltale signs that they are pursuing God with their own heart. Modeling, in other words. And number two, the men and women are respecting them, recognizing their spiritual leadership. By the grace of God, I still have moments of the the joy that I experience. These are men and women who, I mean, men in our, in our congregation deciding the contribution and distribution, and not only the missions fund, but the entire church budget. How each department is being spending our money, including me. And oftentimes, as a pastor, I'm so such a delight to hear the genuine respect from our members for their leadership. They're humble leaders. Right? And here we see that deliberate choice of this character proven, spiritually mature people for integrity of not just the financial side but entire ministry. I'm grateful because by default we learned how to do church business with 
And now the Baha'i is looking at scripture. There is better way. Eventually, even doing this, in the long run, will bear much more fruit. Because people trust the ministry. They follow the leaders. Over the past 11, close to 11 years, our church have a ne never had a financial difficulty because people gave, because people, you gave. Trusting leadership, how money is handled. There are a few things that we could even do more intentionally do, learning this principle. But you could apply this in your own household as well. Number two requirement for Christian giving, integrity. In verse 20, let's read the scripture first. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Second requirement is this. It requires precaution for the entire giving administrative process to be honorable horizontally as well as vertically. Now th this was very helpful for me because if you ask me, Paul, do you have a clear conscience? And I, I, I am. Do you trust your leaders, elders? I do. But here's the biblical wisdom. Paul says, we take this course so that no one should blame us. No potential criticism, unnecessary criticism. Let's prevent that. Let's make it transparent and deliberately precautious. Oh, how wonderful it is. At the same time, it is so obvious so many ministries and so many nonprofits are going through this crisis of moral, immoral crisis because of neglecting this principle of precaution. What's the precaution that he's doing? He is actually not only the famous brother who is known, well known for preacher, I mean preaching of the gospel, he has another person who's earnest, like him. He has a pastoral heart, a shepherding heart, and he has heard about their repentance, and now he's confident. 
Paul doesn't have to say anything. He wants to go. So Titus, later on, he has a greatest praise for Titus as well. And the famous brother, whoever that is, uh, and the earnest brother, three are sent on behalf of Paul. I sometimes um, wonder about the efficiency of doing things. Because if you ask me, and naturally, I'm just a practical person. I want to get to this, per this point A to point B the shortest way. <coughs> but doing this precaution doing loving way and wise way, sometimes it's very inefficient. But it is wise way. Do you know our church has two people count every money every Sunday? I don't know where they do it, but they two people. That's a precaution on our part. So we realize, although we believe the character, proven character of two, these two brothers, the first brother we have no doubt whatsoever. <laughs> it's not because we don't trust him enough. We're giving another, another brother who's counting the money together so that no possible criticism or even just a, um, dreaming about these thoughts. Well, I, I would be tempted if I look at $100 bill right there, cash. And not only that, the reason why our uh, leadership team meeting goes sometimes, to my shame, uh, I'm responsible because I, I am leading that meeting. Sometimes 11.30, midnight. We start at 7.30 with dinner. <laughs> I know how to do meeting quickly. Minute, saving minute by minute, and I could get it done. But a lot of times, the most important part is when we are discussing about um, missions fund, how to allocate, and in something there's a disagreement, and uh, even how we use languages also too. So letting other person express their concerns and wisdom is collective wisdom, plurality of leadership that is so important as a precaution. And I am amazed. I thought, okay, this one is an easy decision. 30 minutes, we could done. Another two hours. Because people are so different. Not everyone is like me. I should say this, this way. Everyone is not like me. That's God's wisdom for us. 
The check and balance comes because people are different. Most efficient way is one person decides everything, one person has a final call of everything. And not our church. Not because democratic process is so important, uh uh, but because God's principle is so important. Democratic process has problematic side also, too, right? If the majority is wrong, the church is wrong. I hope to have, even when I'm wrong, stepping aside of biblically one of our brothers will call it out. The sola scriptura, scripture and scripture alone is consistently right in our supreme authority. Not one person's idea. First Corinthians 16, the first letter, Paul already Suggested precaution or uh, in chapter 16, verse 3 to 4, as he was encouraging about getting prepared each first day, first day of each week, which is Sunday, set aside so that when I come, that you don't have to do compulsive collecting. So in other words, be ready, make a decision, set aside each week. Verse 3. When I arrive, and I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry out your gift to Jerusalem, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. His precaution at that time was this. It's your money that you are sending, so send your representative with that money collection. If you'd like me to accompany them, I'll go with them. Oh, don't worry about it. Just trust me. Give everything to me. I'll carry that all by myself. And I'll tell them it's from you, your church. Paul didn't do that. Not because he didn't trust himself, but because of precaution, wisdom. Number three requirement. Integrity in Christian giving requires godly leadership to urge follow-through in giving as a discipleship issue. In other words, spiritual growth issue. <clears throat> Verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. What he's doing is that he's intentionally being redundant is what he said in earlier in chapter 8, verse 8 and 10 and 11, he said, uh, verse 8, I say this not as a command, 
but to prove by the earnest of your of others that your love also is genuine. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of you, what you have. Um, some of you who went on a short-term mission trip, you will dis feel this pain along with me. Every time when you ask for sub financial support, I just, maybe I should just take care of it myself. I have enough savings. Well, it's a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand for this short term. I'll just pay myself. I just hate asking for money. As a pastor, I hate talking about money. Because there are so many crook people and I don't want to identify, be identified by that, with them. So maybe I just keep my mouth shut and the people will do their part. But according to this passage, what benefits you and me that spiritual urge and genuine earnest challenge to give. Why? That giving is actually good for my spiritual health. It is a discipleship issue, stewardship issue. I begin to really literally embrace that everything I own belongs to God, not just conceptually. I am a good manager, steward, just imagine that, that when you have to go out of country for a few years and you ask somebody, could you be my steward? We don't use that word anymore. Could you manage my asset? What if he did or she did whatever he or she wanted to do? Wouldn't that displease you? But if your instruction is, you are free to do whatever you want to do. Would you reflect my values, my heart? And that person took the liberty, take, took the risk in giving and to investing, many other things. And then you come back, seeing the fruits of your asset and money. Wouldn't you be glad? That's God's, what God is doing with us. Everything we have, God has given to us as a good gift. And if we really believe that, we are either being a good steward or bad steward. And Paul is urging. He doesn't have any reluctance to in doing so. And this is my application point. I have a hard time even mentioning about that. Uh, during missions month, I got criticism 
So I don't want to do that anymore. I feel like this coming time, and I'm going to just keep my mouth shut, and my elders will do something, and then uh, maybe let it be. But having heard this, I, w I want to do it, choose the right language, and do it again. We need to give. We heard this word benefit twice. Titus, my partner, he just like me. You know, you could trust him as much as you could trust me. Because he has my heart. He has my concern. But he's doing this for you. Your benefit. Oh, this message is so simple. My, I'm, I'm already done. But what's difficult is that idea. Am I still cynical about giving? Do I need to have a control of everything? In other words, you know, people like to designate giving for everything, right? The missions giving, we say just give, and then the elders will decide allocation. Let's say a billionaire shows up. I'd like to give this amount, just a couple of million dollars, but I want to designate this for this purpose. Is that a reflection of stewardship toward God? Of course, he has a, like, I could see a good-hearted people said, I want this money to be used for the glory of God, for this church, for the missional reasons and whatnot. I'm, I'm talking about designated giving, was, uh, which we decided not to do anymore. You know, some of friends, my former friends, they still pray for me, love me, and they write a check to Crossway and send me a letter, and this is for you. Initially, I used to receive that, kind of reimbursed for that. And then I realized that that's a bad practice. One of our elders pointed, pointed it out that, well, what if that becomes several, several thousand dollars or a million dollars designated for Paul Kim? That's when the TV uh, reporters come and knock on the door and can we interview you kind of thing? It's shame, the dishonor to the name of God. But usually this happens to be the case, right? They have a good heart. They want to support financially, but at the same time, they want to get tax deductible thing, right? So writing to church and write my name. And I tell them, no. If you really want me to have it, Whatever the amount, you need to write to me, Paul Kim. Then I'll deal with my income tax. But other than that, so many church checks will just go to church general account. Thank you, because you're supporting our church and you're supporting me. 
the reason I'm saying, revealing even this is kind of painful even to, to talk about this. But this practice clarifies our motive. Is it really glory for glory of the Lord? It is some type of control I could have with my money. It is an offering, not a charitable donation. Last week, I closed with Randy Alcorn, which, um, which was helpful, but as I am finishing this, I ran into another uh, quote. Uh, this book, he, he wrote this book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he's a pastor uh, who happens to be very uh, deep learning about heaven. He, his book on heaven is really good, too, and, and stewardship. Randy Alcorn writes, It's not enough for a leader to say, My conscience is clear before the Lord. Our actions must be revive approach not only in the eyes of the Lord but also in the eyes of men. Whatever system of collecting and distributing funds we choose, it must involve awareness and accountability with a plurality of character approved men or women, preferably not chosen by each other but by a church or constituency. Although two character qualified family members might appropriately sit together on a board, there is no place for the sort of nepotism that makes some organizations top heavy with underqualified relatives and childhood friends who look the other way instead of fostering accountability. Sisters and brothers, this one principle is clear. God has shown favor us and made much abundant provision for our church financially over the past 10, 11 years because our leaders and I practice this biblical principle that naturally drawn the members' respect and trust in the leadership. Let's not stop doing this. To be honest with you, I have a hard time to even imagine that, the way our church grows. Uh, but imagine that our church grows 10 times. This will not change. You could take me, take my word for it. And it, it is accountability that I'm asking you for our leadership as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wisdom and, and clarity of your guidance. Uh, amidst many 
failing churches and organizations. Uh, keep us, look to your scripture guidance as a supreme authority that we will make decisions and that we will align ourselves uh, to your uh, principles, to biblical principles and when it comes to giving and financial uh, stewardship and integrity as church leadership. We thank you so much for what you're doing amongst us. We do pray for your provision for our next uh, facility as a church. Uh, cause us to pray and desperately depend on you. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.